Great, Harry, thank you. Um, here's Joe, who's going to bring our reading from the letter to the Colossians. The reading this morning comes from Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 to 6, which can be found on page 1119 in the Bibles. 1119, chapter 4. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly, as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Great, Joe, thank you very much. Um, here comes the sermon. Uh-oh. Um, and actually, and let me, I just want to be straight up um, and say that I'm, I'm looking out here and I had I sort of planned what I was going to say today with um, a lot, what I hoped would be quite a lot of home team in my, quite a lot of people who are sort of regulars here. And um, as I look out, I can see, and it's absolutely fantastic. But I can see there's just a lot of people that um, I don't recognize, that maybe you've been coming here for months and months and months and I just haven't seen you, uh, or it may be that you're relatively new here or visiting here, um, in which case it's great to see you. And so I'm gonna, I think I'm going sort of to carry on saying, for the sake of the tape actually, and to record it, I'm going to say what I wanted to say, but can I say as a caveat right at the start, that um, right now we're in a sort of season as a church of sort of what I call housekeeping. Uh, sort of summer, a lot of people went away and we kind of uh, chilled out a bit. Um, and uh, September, back to school, we've got quite a lot of families, so back to school, new term, new year. And so there's, we take September to kind of gear up a little bit. And actually, if you are visiting here with a view possibly to, to thinking about joining us, it, this is a brilliant time to come because we're kind of rehearsing our vision. We're thinking about who we are, why we're here, what we're about, um, and what we want to do in the coming weeks and months under the Lord's guiding and empowering. Uh, so that's um, the first thing I, I, I want to say. It's a re- kind of refresher for those of us who are long-term members, and hopefully it's, it's uh, helpful information for those of you who are thinking of joining. If you're a visitor here, then I guess um, if you could graciously sit amongst us, and if you're a member of a church somewhere else, or you're thinking of joining a church somewhere else, you can maybe take the idea that God does give vision to particular churches, organizations, and you could maybe take something of that back to be with the people that you're at. As we sit, let's pray. Father, in these next few minutes, um, I ask simply that we engage with you and your plan and purpose for us as individuals and for us as a church as we head on into this term and this year. Speak to us by your spirit. For Jesus' sake. Amen. If you've got Paul's letter open there, the bit that Joe just read, 
a number of things have stood out to me as I've been uh, kind of chewing over this and reflecting on it in the last few weeks. We looked last week at devoting yourselves to prayer. We looked last week, uh, and if we can have the first slide up, I've got a few slides to accompany my talk. We looked at the kind of basic shape, that the framework by which we understand ourselves and which has helped to form our vision, um, that we are under the God's anointing, seeking to be a Christ-centered family in Parsons Green. Um, there are elements of our gathering together that are devoted to, to up, focusing on, on God in prayer, in worship, teaching, um, studying his word. There's elements of our gathering together that focuses on community and family, um, all ages and stages joining together. We were made to be in relationship, and so we, we look to um, release that and to enable that. Uh, but we also believe that we were called to not just to sit here like a holy huddle. Uh, Christianity is not a private thing. Uh, that actually we're meant to, we're called to go out, to move out. The sending God sends us out into the world. And we might as well start where we're at in Parsons Green and then work from there. So that's what we looked at last week. And this week I want to think about how we might tilt that triangle. How we might tilt that triangle. And I'll come on to that in just a few moments. Look at, uh, just to give you a little lead as to where I'm going and where the inspiration has come from, where Paul says in verse 3, as he asks the Colossians to pray for him, he says, pray for us that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Paul under house arrest, it's thought, as he wrote this letter. There he is, chained, and yet he's still able to pray that God would open doors for the message. He's still praying, even though he's in chains, he's praying that the gospel, the message, the power of God, the truth of God, would go out into all the world. And so he asks, pray that God opens doors. And look too how he says at this second half of verse 5 to these Colossians, make the most of every opportunity so that in verse 6, you may know how to answer everyone. Make the most of every opportunity so that you may know how to answer everyone. Praying as you do, that God will open the doors that by implication you're gently pushing, nudging, to see what God's up to and what he's doing. Just back to this, this shape. Here's, here's our sort of shape, which hopefully we're looking to God and praying to him. Uh, and together as a family, we're looking for ways in which we can go out and push doors so that um, God's message, the mystery of Christ, as Paul calls it, might be made known. It would not be a mystery. It would be reality in more and more people's lives. And so this sort of uh, triangle shape here, which comes, I, I took that from a, a book by Robert Warren called Building Missionary Congregations. And uh, basically, Robert Warren asked himself this question. Grab the next uh, what is church ideally made of? And uh, he came to the conclusion it's made of worship, and secondly, of community, thirdly, of mission. Those three ingredients define, if you like, a church's spirituality. And uh, if you find yourself located in the center of those three, that is the ideal church. The up, in, out. The focus and worship on God, the gathering together as community, so that under God's anointing and, and by his direction and in his timing, we would go out and take the message to those 
Uh, the message of God's love, of God's forgiveness, of his reconciliation and healing, echoing uh, Harry's prayers just then. We take that out to the wider world, to those who don't yet know of him. I want to tell you a story. It's a story of some rescuers and their lifeboat station. Are you sitting comfortably? Then I'll begin. Long, long ago, a bunch of sailors were rescued from what would have been a terrible tragedy. They found themselves in swirling seas with strong currents and dangerous rocks. The boat was smashed to smithereens, but fortunately they were rescued. And as they clambered to shore, shocked and cold and hypothermic and close to death, they realized just how fortunate they'd been to have been rescued. And as they looked about, they, they, they saw the sea and the uh, rocks where they'd been rescued, and they realized what a perilous part of the coast it was. This was so dangerous. Why hadn't there been any warning as they'd sailed by? And so convicted of the danger on that part of the coast, and so grateful for the fact that they had been rescued, they committed themselves to stay there, to build a little shelter. They got hold of an old dinghy, which they kind of patched up. They got some life jackets, and there was an old life ring, a life-saving ring that they found. They managed to get hold of a bit of rope, and they cobbled these things together under this makeshift shelter, and they dedicated themselves to sit on that coastline and to watch, convinced as they were, that other people would find themselves in perilous danger. Well, as time went by, people did. Boats and sailing vessels, even the occasional ship got into trouble. And the rescuers were able to do, alert as they were to the situation, were able to do all they could to rescue the people. They didn't rescue everyone, sadly, but they rescued many, many people. It was just as well that they were there keeping watch. It was risky. They knew the dangers that they were putting themselves in. It was a perilous, dangerous sea. But they knew just how grateful they were that they themselves had been rescued once. And they wanted to pass on that opportunity, that possibility for others in danger. Well, over time... There were several rescues that they made. And a number of the people that they rescued joined them in their quest to make that part of the coastline safer and to reduce the number of deaths at sea. Other people, although they were very grateful to be rescued, they actually felt a kind of call, if you like, a, a need to go further down the coastline. They knew there were other danger spots in other parts of the coast. So although they didn't join them, they went and formed other rescue centers, built other shelters further down the coast. And over time, the work of these rescuers began to be recognized. Others joined them in their particular quest to look out for people in danger and do all they could to rescue them. And uh, others, if they didn't actually join them, would give them funds and money. And so after a, a time, they were able to build, a, a, and to buy rather, a proper lifeboat, not the old dinghy they'd been using. And they got some proper life-saving equipment. 
And best of all, they were able to build themselves a really good lifeboat station to house the lifeboat. And in the lifeboat station, they could equip it with all the things that they'd need for the people they'd rescued. Um, things like hot showers to uh, warm the people up and, and wash them down that they plucked out of the sea. And um, an urn, they got an urn, so they could boil water and give them hot soup and tea and so on. Um, and there was, um, there was cl a clothing store, and they asked people to donate clothing. So there was warm, dry clothing for the people who'd just been rescued to put on. They got uh, some comfy chairs for them to sit on, and there was a, a telly in the corner as well while they recovered from their ordeal. Over time... It's not that the sea got any less dangerous. It's not that the rocks disappeared. It's just that the rescuers in the lifeboat station, they gradually became a little bit more preoccupied with the lifeboat station itself. See, what happened was this, that since the rescuers were spending quite a bit of time in the lifeboat station, looking out to see for those that they could rescue, from time to time they just took it in turns to have a shower. And um, one or two others of the rescuers, when they went to have a shower, they liked it if the shower was clean and tidy and there weren't sort of bits of soap and other skanky bits around the plank hole. So what they did was they devised a little shower cleaning rotor. That was very important to keep the shower clean. And while they were there, of course, they'd help themselves to, to tea and coffee. And uh, so some of the other rescuers would um, work quite hard at having a, a, an urn and tea and coffee rotor. And that, that was very important, just to, to sort of keep morale up in the lifeboat station. In fact, one or two of the rescuers, that was all it seemed they ever did, endlessly trying to find other rescuers to join their tea and coffee rotor. Other rescuers took on particular jobs within the lifeboat station. In fact, it's interesting. They, after a while, they stopped being referred to as rescuers. They took on other titles, like there was the warm clothes warden. And the warm clothes warden was responsible for making sure that there was enough warm clothes, just in case anyone got rescued. I, I say just in case anyone got rescued, because although the sea was really dangerous at times and storms would lash that part of the coast and the rocks and the currents were still there, it seemed like they were rescuing less and less people. They sat on the sofas and, uh, of course, there were meetings. When you got that many people in the lifeboat station, you need lots of meetings to discuss. For example, how is the shower cleaning rotor going? And, um, and also, um, since we've got tea and coffee, is there decaffeinated tea and coffee? Because some of us here having the tea and coffee, we don't want to have a sort of caffeine rush. And is it possible that we could do some fair trade? And are those soups the best things to have for all of us here? Enjoy eating and drinking um, these soups. There are endless meetings. There was a meeting one day uh, because um, it was an urgent meeting called because there was, there was a degree of tension within the lifeboat station. Because, and this, I have to say, was relatively unusual, but someone had been rescued. And now that ought to be the occasion for great rejoicing, but, but the meeting was called because this rescued person had come in and they were soaking wet and they smelt a bit of seawater and stuff. And in their shock and, and, and dismay, uh, they'd sat down on the sofa and caused a wet patch on the sofa. But not only that, they'd sat in someone else's place. It was a place that one of the rescuers had always sat in, and he'd come and sat in their place. 
uh, and he was quite a big chap. And actually what he'd done, I mean, I'm sure it wasn't his fault, but he'd obscured the view of the telly, and all the other rescuers couldn't quite see the telly program that they were busy watching. There was a meeting to discuss what to do about that. And while they were having that meeting, there was a shipwreck right outside the lifeboat station. And because they were so busy in the meeting, no one realized that the wreck had taken place. And everyone perished. And as you can imagine, that story hit the newspapers. And there was an inquest. How can it be that we had a lifeboat station right by where there was a shipwreck and no one was able to rescue them? And in the inquest and the research and the sort of articles that followed, there came to the realization that actually there were a lot of shipwrecks and a lot of people were dying. This wasn't just a one-off. It caused a bit of soul-searching within the lifeboat station and amongst the rescuers. Some of them left the lifeboat station. They'd been there and grown disillusioned. This isn't why I joined the lifeboat station. And others stayed. They were, they were the committed, dedicated ones. They were the ones who were going to see it through. They said, we are meant to be in this lifeboat station. I've been on the shower rotor for 25 years. That's why I'm here. It's the job of other people to rescue. It's just not my job. And then one day, a stranger dragged someone out of the foaming surf. Someone who was close to death and just about to drown was dragged out by this stranger, and the stranger, looking up, saw a lifeboat station. And so he dragged the person he just saved into the lifeboat station. He found some clothes that were there. He put an urn on and made him a hot drink. He sat him down on the sofa and sat with him until he was able fully to recover. And that little episode of rescue galvanized the life of the lifeboat station again. Here ends the story. Now you'll be way ahead of this, but now we can apply these sort of theology books, Robert Warren, See what, uh, if you can have the next slide, what Robert Warren analyzes over the sort of centuries where we've kind of presumed that, that we're a Christian country. We've presumed that you know, Christianity is always there. It's okay. He, he's recognized that actually what's crept into church life and Christian life is a distortion. That we've basically become preoccupied out of those three things that make the triangle. We've become preoccupied with our meetings and with the way in which we worship and the style of worship and how often and when and whom and so on. And inevitably, as we've gathered together with the view, laudable view, to worship God, you know, inevitably, community has built. It, it takes quite a hard-hearted person to meet week by week with others without beginning to get to know them and them to get to know you over coffee or whatever it might be. So community is built. But, but mission, taking the news of our rescue out so that others might be rescued. Well, Robert Warren says that you know, every now and then, maybe there's a little sort of sortie out. And we think, let's have a mission week. And, uh, or, or, or sort of you know, focus on mission for the year. And uh, don't make that arrow 
Just uh, whatever it does. The next click. Oh, maybe it doesn't. I thought I'd done something clever. Every now and then, we'll, 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 we'll venture out. We, we might have a, you know, a bit of an effort to think about there's someone we might invite on Alpha. Or we might get a guest speaker to, to say, we might invite someone to an event. But then we'll scurry back into the relative safety of our worship centers. And Robert Warren wants to say to the church, it's a, this is a general message to the church, but if the Spirit of God is in this message for us, then let's wake up to what the Spirit of God is saying. Warren says this is a wake-up call to the rescuers. The sea is still rough. In fact, in many ways you could argue it's rougher. The currents are stronger. The storms are more prevalent. There are people dying at sea, as it were. And we need to reprioritize our worldview, if you like. Reprioritize our response to God's love for us by looking to see how we can be involved in the rescue of others. It's not that Robert Warren, to adopt the story, is asking us to tear down the lifeboat station. Because if you think about that stranger, when he dragged the person out of the sea, wasn't it fantastic that he had the lifeboat station to take someone to? It's not that we demolish these church buildings that we've inherited and all the stuff that goes inside. No. It's simply that we recover the very reason why it's all here in the first place. Warren, in his book, is encouraging us, if you like, to emphasize mission as part of all that we do. His urgent priority, as I've put it, is this. That mission, our looking out to those who are lost and all at sea, our mission is the primary priority. And that that mission will drive both our community and our worship. Apply it to the lifeboat story. That as you look out and you see someone in terrible trouble, don't you need help? I mean, are you going to save them all on your own? Or if you had a backup and a team, someone to drive the boat, someone to have the rescue ring or whatever it is, if you had a team around you, as you see the need to go out and rescue, you'll build community, you'll build team. We can't do this on our own. And actually, even as a community, as a team, we need God's help. Won't it drive us to worship? Or oh, just back on the... Uh, uh, can we go back one? That's it. Won't it drive us to, to worship? Sometimes people think, well, if we focus all on rescue, then we'll lose, um, we'll lose a sort of lifeboat, we'll lose a thing. No. That, that will always be there by derivation. We will always, in short, just naturally it will be in us to make sure that as we reach out, there'll be something to come back into. And all of that within the context of wanting to give thanks and praise and ask for help and guidance to the God who saves us all. The in and the up will derive from, if you like, a, a sort of a, a, an over-exaggeration. Sometimes that's what it'll feel like. An over-exaggeration on the out. Because the tendency is, like rescuers in the lifeboat, that left alone in a, in a period of stasis, we will shrink back to focusing on up and in and leave go of our responsibility and our deep, deep call from the God who sends to go out. 
So how does this apply to us here at St. Barnes? Here's our triangle. And I said at the start, I want to, I've been thinking this term about how we might tilt the triangle. And all I want to say is that the, the constituent parts are exactly the same. You see there's the up, in, out, our, our vision to be Christ-centered, the, the Christ-centered family in Parsons Green. But uh, as we press that arrow, we're looking to tilt the triangle so it looks like this. It's the same shape. It's a, if you just go like that with your head, you'll see. It's the same shape. It's the same constituent parts. It's the same vision. But there's a different emphasis as we've tilted the triangle. We're attempting to allow our concern and our focus and our priority for those who do not yet know the Lord and his love and his rescue and his cleaning and his sanctifying and his empowering and equipping and anointing, his love, his faithfulness. We're adapting our focus to them so that they might know that and come and join his body already who do know that so that they would be caught up as we are in wonder, love and praise in the words of the time-honored hymn. So the call that I'm inviting us to engage with for this term through our midweek groups, through our prayer triplets, through any kind of conversation we have, as it were, internally, is how might we recover our heart for the lost? How might we recover our missionary priority, our passion to go out to seek and save the lost? As we seek to go out, hopefully this is what will happen. We'll head off <laughs> to the wrecks and uh, the, 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 the trouble spots, the people on the edges of the margins, the people in need, the people who are lonely, the people who long for friendship. And all of that, behind all of that, people who actually need connection with the God who rescues. Let me finish with just three quick examples of actually how that is already taking place here. As if this is a sort of new mandate, and in a sense it isn't. In one sense, I'm simply describing what is beginning, and I'm simply asking, could we do more? Could we do more? The six o'clock service, relatively small service, although you'd all be really welcome to come. Six o'clock in Starbucks. We're meeting there tonight. Starbucks just around the corner. Lost my bearing, somewhere over there. On the corner by the traffic lights. You'd be really welcome to come. On the first Sunday of every month, our worship is not in Starbucks, it's out. And uh, prayerfully, we, we discern under HE, uh, my ordinand here who um, leads with her husband Ed, leads the six o'clock service, we prayerfully discern, Lord, where are you wanting us to go in our community so that we can bless people and take something of your good news, your love, that our conversation, as Paul says, might be uh, full of grace and seasoned with salt. How can we be tasty? in our culture and our society. And we found that it might be in um, tidying up someone's garden or painting a, a, someone's a flat, a, a, painting the room in a flat. Those are the kind of things we've done. Or taking some shopping for a housebound person or reading the paper to someone who's on their own. In a myriad of ways, we can take God's love. And, and as we do, it's interesting, people start to ask questions. Did you notice in there, verse 6, uh, when Paul says, always be ready to have an answer for everyone 
That implies there's a question. I think too often, as Christians, what we've done when we've ventured out of the security and safety of our four walls is we've looked to sort of take the little bit of the gospel that we think we understand and ram it down people's throat. My vicar says, you've got to know the gospel, so here you go, ram it in. What happens when you force feed people? They're sick. But, but the premise of the gospel is that people out there are hungry, if I can change the analogy from sea to food. People are hungry, and they're wanting to eat, and we have the food. And if we could take the food out there and just say, smell this, people, can I have some? Can I eat? Is it all right if I have a bit? And we simply then have to be prepared to say, in answer to that question, of course, and I'll tell you where you can get more. It's already happening. Right now, last week, we had a baptism. A number of you are here. We had about 60 guests to um, Belinda Eddington's baptism. and uh, oh, Sorry, Amber Eddington's baptism. Dan and Belinda, mum and dad, they were here. And they brought family and friends, many of whom I don't think usually go to church. And it was great to see them. It was wonderful to see them. And it was a lovely day, and they had a lunch out on the green afterwards. And they invited a few of us, uh, particularly those who are, have been involved in their house group, Dan and Belinda's house group, to go along. And I'd been talking about house groups. One member of our congregation, who's also a member of that house group, said she couldn't believe it. Because all throughout lunch, she was just bombarded with questions by different members of the the baptismal party. What is a house group? What, What goes on there? Who sort of sets them up? I mean, what do you kind of do? How do you become part of one? Just every conversation, full of questions. And it was just so easy to give a response and to say a little bit more about what lies behind our need, our desire to meet together, to, to pray, to encourage one another, to, to kind of um, feed our lives on the truth and the food of God's word, to worship God and to see how he might be calling us to serve others in our community. That's what house groups are about. They're amazed. Uh, I think they let slip, this member of the congregation, let slip that at one stage that Dan and Belinda were part of a house group. And a number of their friends and family hadn't, weren't aware of that. Jaws kind of drop, hit the ground. Dan, Dan and Belinda are part of it. Because uh, until then, I think they'd been thinking, dodgy sect, dodgy sect. But Dan and Belinda are then normal, nice people. And they're part, you could see the sort of cogs whirring. More questions. Dan and Belinda, what they go to her? You mean a... Huh? Questions, questions, questions. And implicit behind that, I'm hungry. Or implicit behind that, sometimes I feel I'm drowning. And I sense here safety, security, a purpose to life, the, the kind of center of life. Can you tell me more? I want to know more. It's already happening. I was um, privileged to be part of a house group, final story, and then I'll finish. Privileged to be part of a house group here for a little while. Um, and uh, we spent time getting to know each other. We used to gather, and we'd get to know each other and chat and all that kind of thing. We slowly we'd get to know each other, and one or two other people joined us, and it was happy time. And then one day, we thought, come on, let's, go, let's, let's, let's don't just sit here. Let's go and do something. So we heard of a lady who had a flat that... She'd love just to have the hallway painted, and she'd done different bits, and she'd got a young child, and she was wanting to you know, make the home just great for the child and so on. But she just couldn't think how to paint this hallway and up the stairs on her own. So I think there were about six or seven of us that went. We didn't know 
really what we were doing. Fortunately, one of our number did, and he thought ahead, and he got some rollers and some things, and we got the paint that she liked and so on. So he kind of he got all this sort of stuff together in a way that others of us hadn't thought of. Some people, it emerged, some people in that group, and we all thought we knew each other quite well, but some people were the real detail people with the masking tape. You know, they sort of really precisely mask along the, along the skirting board and around the light plugs like that. And if it wasn't quite good enough, you take it off, no, that's not, you know, do it again. Neat and precise, like a real sort of neat, precise people. And others of us, we were sort of weren't so into the, we quite like, give me the biggest roller you've got and as much paint, and we sort of, yeah, come on, I love it, it's a big sort of rolling, big spaces of wall like this. And others were sort of, um, you know, the, is anyone hungry? Would anyone like a cup of tea? And a, there, was sort of, there was that going. And do you know what it was? It was the body of Christ at work. It was every different part and every different gift and every different passion coming out. I, I, this is subjective. This is my opinion. But in that three or four hours that it took us to paint that flat, we we basically got through about six months' worth of relationship. As we got active, as we made the Christian life live, everything else followed suit. Our, our friendship and community was catalyzed through that one little activity. We were so grateful to God for what he'd done in and amongst us and for providing us the opportunity. Our community grew, our worship grew. But the thing that had catalyzed it, the thing that had set it off, was we'd look to go out. Guys, thank you. I'm conscious I've gone on way beyond remits. But what I want to lay before us this morning, and what I want to encourage us to think and to pray about, is how we might, in our triplets, prayer triplets, in our house groups, and as a church, how might we tilt the triangle to bring God's glory to Parsons Green? and beyond. Let's just have a moment or two of quiet. an opportunity just as we sit in the quietness of our hearts to respond to God. Maybe times, um, just for some of us, that uh, the Spirit is just beginning gently to convict us. It would be quite precise of ways in which We've taken our eye off the main thing. We've lost priority. We've become, as they say, we've majored on the minors. And it's an opportunity now in the quietness of your heart to say, Oh God, I am sorry. I know that you rescued me and you called me to take part in your great rescue. Maybe you're part of a group, and the resolve is, as the groups head up, uh, start to meet up this week, and look ahead to the coming term and on. And it's your conviction, maybe it is of one or two others too, that as a group, you could tilt the triangle. It's not actually changing anything, it's just tilting the triangle. 
ironically, it catalyzes community life. It deepens worship. Just allow the, the Spirit of God to reveal that to you. He's in the business of saving. He's looking for as many as possible who can join him. Father, as you've spoken to us through your word and by your spirit this morning, continue, we pray, that process of challenging us, of focusing our attention on your kingdom priorities. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing our final hymn together. Salvation belongs.